How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Get so busy during the time that I'm here on Sunday mornings that not only is my head spinning most of the time, but I realized as I was leaving here last week, I never even said good morning to Dave. I was with him all morning. I never said good morning to him last week. What's up with that? Well, good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. Now, there's always interesting ways that this program starts, aren't there? Remember, it goes with stream of conscious. It's the way my mind works. Hopefully, you are in for a good discussion. We have talked with the gentleman who is seated in studio with me this morning a number of times over the years and talked about the organization that he is representing, the Adoptive Parents Committee, On this program in the month of November, there is a special significance to that. There's an event that is taking place next week that we're going to be talking about in the course of our discussion with Sam Pitkowski. Uh, Sam is joining us in studio from the Adoptive Parents Committee. First of all, it's nice to see you again. Morning, Bob. Nice to see you. Time certainly flies. It does. Seems like it was just last November, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Talking about the topic of adoption in November... Um, I'll ask the open-ended question that I know the answer to, but why November? Well, November is National Adoption Month. Um, A few years ago, um, actually, going back to Jimmy Carter, we were able to have November as a celebratory month for adoption. So we celebrate the idea that children deserve permanent loving homes and that we celebrate it all month by having adoptions finalized in the courts, by having as much information put out so that families can adopt children, but more importantly, children can find permanent loving families. Okay. Now, the Adoptive Parents Committee, how did this organization start? Well, this organization started about 50 years ago, actually in nothing more than a living room, of people getting together and realizing that people needed to share the information that was out there, that there were children available, that families wanted to adopt children, and together with support of each other, they were able to adopt their children. And it started then, and it's grown since then, to a organization of four chapters, which now support and educate people about adoption. How do you define adoption? Well, adoption is not a second choice. That's the primary thing we talk about. It's an alternative way of having a family. For many families, whether they be single or couples or same-sex couples, many families are unable to have a child biologically or do not have a significant other to have one with, so they want to be parents. They believe they have a lot to give to children to, who need homes, and adoption is an alternative way of having a family that people can get together, decide that this is a good fit for the child and a good place for the family to bring this child up in this day and age uh, with mothering and fathering and nurturing together. I'm going to tell you a true story, Sam, from earlier today. It's taking the train in from um, New Jersey. And I sat down in the car, which I rode into New York on. And there were two people who were talking in the front of the car. And they were talking loud enough that I could hear what they were saying. The young lady says to the young man who was talking with her, You know, I'm 21, but here's how I see my life going. I'm going to live at home for another couple of years, save up some money. I see myself as being married sometime in the next five to ten years, having a family, and by the time I get to my mid-40s, I'm going to be looking to adopt. 
I almost fell out of my seat. Wow. Because it was the last thing that I was, first of all, that I was expecting to hear and that I would be hearing today in the car I was riding coming here. Right. And once again, this points to exactly, she was 21. And I'm thinking, she's thinking about adoption? Why does that shock me? I, I It shocks you because people don't normally use that as a first step it within their families or within what they're thinking of for the future. But it shows more and more that young people are aware of the need, the need for children to have homes, that there are thousands of children in foster care without adoption would not have any place to call home. It is unfortunate to say that in this day and age, children who are in foster care still move from home to home and move several times and carry their belongings, whatever they can have with them, in a garbage bag, that they have provided nothing more than moving to a new home and having nothing more than a garbage bag full of clothes or maybe one teddy bear or something. One of the things the Adopted Parents Committee does is try to collect money and collect luggage donations to donate to different foster care agencies so these children do not have to do it. And it's a great thing to see that a young person these days realizes the need and the importance of children having permanent homes. That it just shocked me, but yet amazed and impressed me that she was thinking that way. And also the, the interesting thing as well was the response of the young man she was talking to. He was, you know, thumbs up. Yeah, this is that sounds great. That's a good, good idea. And he starts talking about adoption as well. And again, I'm thinking to myself, this is the last thing I expected to hear. But then again, maybe this is showing how I'm biased. Well, it's it's a good thing to hear. It really is. I mean, I did put those people in your car this morning. <laughs> but um, no, really, really, it's a case of the, the amount of publicity that we're trying to get out um, without getting too political. We've spent a lot of time over the last uh, year due to the elections working and educating legislators about the needs so that they're not cut out, the, out of the budgets. And the tax reform that was coming out, they were removing a refundable, non-refundable tax credit that families could get in order to adopt. And we're hoping, thankfully, we've gotten the message across. And at least at this point, it seems to have been removed from removing it from the tax plan so that families can still get a tax deduction to adopt, which sometimes is the final straw that helps families reach this goal. Mm. Okay. I guess you've you've done this a number of times over the years in discussions here. Would you tell the story of how your family came to adopt? Well, my wife and I had decided that we would have a family before we got married, and I don't think we ever really did talk about adoption that much, but we knew it was in the back of our mind, and through whatever reasons, it was determined that we weren't able to have a biological child, and we decided to move in in, in the path of adoption. We joined the Adoptive Parents Committee, and we learned a lot about adoption, and the availability of children, and we learned about a child that was available overseas in Honduras. And as I've said to you before, I honestly didn't even know where Honduras was on the map (laughs) at the time Um, and had to look it up. But we heard about this little girl um, who is now named Helen, Um, and we learned about her availability and the need for parents, and we did the paperwork. We did the movement that had to be done, and the next thing you knew, we were— on Easter Sunday, flying down to Honduras. And we met my daughter for the first time. She was five pounds and six ounces, nothing but a little T-shirt and a diaper, screaming her head off. And um, (laughs) my wife picked her up, and um, she peed her all over her. And we decided at that moment it was a sign from somewhere (laughs) that um, this was going to be our daughter. And we spent several weeks in Honduras. We finalized the adoption, and we brought her home, and she has been... Totally a beautiful daughter, accepted into our family by everyone that was there. Um, we then proceeded to realize that this was something that was great, that was exciting, and we proceeded to move on to trying to adopt a second one, which we did, Irene, uh, almost in the same fashion from the Dominican Republic. And um, she's a really wonderful daughter then. Her sister, when we brought her home, Helen didn't exactly want her there. And um, we kind of said to her, well, you know, you're still— the first daughter, and she said, no, I still don't want her in my room. <laughs> so we kind of uh, took her down the block and got her an ice cream, and she said, 
well, is Irene getting an ice cream? And we said, no. She says, okay, then she can stay. <laughs> so we have two beautiful daughters, one who's 31 and is engaged to be married next summer and is doing very well. And my other daughter is in Dallas living and um, on her own and finding herself and making sure that she's able to contribute as an adoptee to the uh, needs and issues that adoptees have these days. There are so many areas where we can go in discussion, and we'll get into talking about the event that's taking place next Sunday because it's a very important event, the 37th Annual APC Adoption Conference. It takes place at St. Francis College in uh, Brooklyn. We'll give you the information on that in um, just a couple of moments. One of the things that I want to touch upon, and we're going to take a pause here in just a moment, but um, is to talk about the conference, to talk about what people who are thinking about or even open to thinking about the topic of adoption, what it is that perhaps they need to know um, heading into um, this idea or this uh, process, um, how they best can sort of prepare themselves uh, for the uh, process. And we'll sort of take you through some of the steps associated with this in the course of the discussion as well, um, if you have a question or thought on point with what we're talking about here, you can join us at 877-337-6666. That's our number here at WFAN. We are talking with Sam Pitkowski on our program. He'll be with us for our full show from 6 until 7.30. and is the NFL preview that happens then this Sunday morning. Radio.com. Parents Committee on our program today. Sam Pitkowski is in studio with us uh, here at the Fan. The topic is adoption. Next Sunday is a very special day. The 37th annual uh, APC Adoption Conference is taking place at St. Francis College in Brooklyn. Sam, tell us about the event. Well, the Adoption Conference, this is our 37th annual. It's something that is a day not to miss. If you're thinking about adoption, whether you've made the decision to adopt yet, whether you're thinking about it or whether you're already involved in the process or whether you've already adopted, there will be 65 workshops that day, uh, ranging everything from making the decision all the way to search and reunion. There will be 31 exhibitors there that day and an adoption bookstore. We open the doors at 8 a.m. We're there till 5 p.m. to provide education, information, and support. For families who are thinking about adoption, looking for adoption, we're there to help adoptees in dealing with their issues. We have so many workshops and so many people there just to help you get the information and education you need that a computer will never supply. Okay. You just addressed something that I wanted to touch upon in our discussion. We've talked about this before. The information that there is that's online about adoption, how careful does one have to be? One has to be totally careful, Bob. As we've said before, um, a computer can put down information that anyone can make available online. It doesn't mean that that information is correct. It doesn't mean that that information is the proper source to go to. It doesn't mean that it will be there for you to give you the support as you go through the process. In this day and age, the computer is everyone's first step. And while we don't necessarily disagree with that, and we tell you to go to our website to find out more information about the Adoptive Parents Committee. The first step is to make yourself aware of what adoption is, to give yourself the idea and communicate the idea of what you are looking for and exactly what type of child you're willing to accept and what kind of child you want, and make these decisions over and above what you see available on the computer. There are too many scams, there are too many people out there, and there are a lot of things that go on in adoption that seem like it's easy to do, and it's cross state lines. And once you cross state lines, the laws change, what the things you need to do change, and you might find yourself in a situation where you do not want to be. Okay, so the conference can serve, and in the past, I'm assuming, has served as kind of an education, um, educational a vantage point for prospective adoptees? Well, what we do is we make sure that the people that we're dealing with are legal and ethical. Mm -hmm. Adoption is not 
a buying of a child. It's not the idea of stealing a child from someone who's unable to raise the child. It's a place for families to get together and make a decision of what is in the best interest of the child. And what we do is we provide agencies, social workers, and lawyers who we've researched and gone out and made sure that these people will work with families in a legal and ethical way to make sure that the adoption can be completed, that the child can find a permanent loving home, and more importantly, we're there to provide the support to help you make the decision in what you're doing. We will not tell you what to do. We will not tell you which agency or which lawyer or which social worker to work with. That's your personal decision. But what we will tell you is what you need to look into and check and make sure that what you're doing is legal and ethical. Okay. So for somebody who's interested in attending, how can they do that? How do they get more information? Well, after I just spent five minutes knocking the Internet, we have a website, AdoptedParents.org. Uh, it's a up-and-coming website. We're still trying to make it more viable. But all you need to do is go to AdoptedParents.org. Right on the front page, there are two buttons. One that you can see the actual workshops that are being presented next Sunday, the entire list, and then you can actually register online and pay through PayPal so that you will get a ticket, and then you can show up next Sunday morning at 8 o'clock and move right in. We will accept day of uh, registrations, but you will be there for a few minutes registering in, and guess what? You'll be registering on a computer right at our registration desk. But So the best way is to register online, and what I want to let people know is that if they register between now and Tuesday, they save $20 on an early re- with an early registration off the registration fee. And actually, Bob, what we're going to do is if you use the code RADIO, you will receive an extra $10 discount to the registration fee. So if you register in the next couple of days and use Go on the website, you'll save $20 on the early registration fee and an extra $10 thanking Bob for his support in the Adoptive Parents Committee. What has the atmosphere been like at the conference over the years? It's, as I've told many families that come to the conference, come, be prepared for a long educational day that will leave you confused, that will leave you excited. And, know, and it will leave you mostly excited because you'll know you'll be able to adopt. And it'll leave you confused on exactly where to go and how to start. And what we tell families is go home, relax, talk about what you've learned, and then come back to the Adoptive Parents Committee to the monthly support meetings and talk about it with families. Don't just jump into the first thing that you hear or the first thing that you see. You may see pictures of children that are available from foster care. And if there's one there that you're interested in, then yes, move on those, move on the information that you were able to gather, talk to the agency, talk to the people there about a particular child. But in general, what we tell families is make a decision based on what you're looking for and what your best interests are. One thing we did not touch upon, your keynote speaker for this year. Yes, our keynote speaker is the executive director CEO of the Evan B. Donaldson Institute. She is very involved with her organization in researching and helping and supporting adoptees and and adoption all over. Her name is April Dinwiddie. She is an excellent speaker, and she's going to come and speak about open adoption. Open adoption is is a word that for many families is fearful and for many families is a difficulty before they even start because they're not sure what they're getting into, and she will come and break down the myths that are involved in open adoption and where the importance of having information about your child's whereabouts and where they came from is important and how to share that with your child. When we talk about that term, use the term open adoption, what exactly are we talking about? Well, if you went back 35, 40 years ago, okay, children were not able to find out their information. Children did not know where they came from. Families did not meet the birth family. In this day and age, When you're doing an independent adoption with an attorney or you're working through an agency, you have the opportunity to meet the birth family, to talk to them, to get an idea of where they're from and find out as much medical information from their past that you can. This is an open adoption. Unfortunately, things like Lifetime TV and other shows portray open adoption as something where 
the families are getting together for Thanksgiving every year or getting together every week or the birth family is living in the house with the adoptive family. And this scares adoptive families because they're not sure what it is. Are there adoptions like that? Absolutely. Are there more openness in certain adoptions than there are in others? Yes, there are. Okay, but what it basically comes down to in openness these days is having as much medical and educational information about the birth family that you can then provide to your child. One of the biggest disappointments, I guess, in my life and in my children's life is they were adopted internationally, like I said, 30 years ago. And we know as much as we know then is what we know now. We've never been able to find out more medical information. We never met the birth family. We have no idea what they look like. We never will have any idea what they look like. And that's an unfortunate thing for my children and for ourselves. But in this day and age, open adoption has various levels. And the openness is a decision you make together with the birth family on how much openness you want. Some of them are nothing more than birthday cards or pictures that are sent. Some people actually set up separate Facebook accounts so that the birth family will have an idea of what's happening with the child. But mostly it's just a case of the adoptive family having as much information about the birth family as they can possibly get, which will then ease the whole the adoption process later on. What's it like to incorporate an adopted child into a family where there's already a child or children present? Children are very flexible. Children, you will be surprised how quickly children would want a sibling. Uh, there's a good friend of ours now that um, she's going to adopt another child, and basically she's adopting another child. Why? Because her two children want a sibling. They keep saying they want a brother or sister. And since they're biologically unable to do it for whatever reason, they are going to adopt again. And children are very flexible in the idea of bringing another one. It's just like having one son biologically and then ha getting pregnant again. In essence, it's a little easier because there's not nine months of pregnancy. There is just a uh, one day you're going to pick up a child and bring it home, and it's their brother or sister or brother and sisters. Sometimes there's sibling groups that are involved or twins. So it's they are flexible to bring in a child, and as long as adoption is a positive word, as long as adoption is a good word in your family and something that's permanent, loving, and that both children are considered equal, there's never going to be a problem. It's when you hear about families where one child is preferred over the other child for some reason. And this is really more, again, in the movies and on TV than it is in reality. Okay, let's talk about this. Because, you know, you mentioned um, Lifetime and some other Productions earlier. What about how it is that the media handles adoption? I mean, poorly to say the least. Does it send confusing messages? Or Absolutely. The confusing messages come about as needs to be dramatic. I mean, why have a simple little story on TV where a couple looks to adopt and goes to adopt and brings the child home and the family's happy and they have a party and everybody moves on? What, that, that's not going to be a story that they're going to publicize. There's one in 10,000 adoptions that go bad, you know, for whatever reason. There's a problem, you know, with the medical, or there's a problem with the birth mom or the birth dad or whatever it may be, and some of these issues come up occasionally, and those are the only ones that hit the front page. As I said, last yesterday in Brooklyn, they did 60 adoptions in the Brooklyn court, okay, of finalizing adoptions. And if you look in today's paper, there will not be one single inch of space about the 60 children yesterday who received permanent loving homes. Yet, if one birth mother or one birth father comes forth and says, I want to see my biological child, it will be the front page of the New York Times. Mm. And one of the other questions with adoption that naturally comes up is the idea of what's involved in terms of looking into the background of prospective adoptees. Every adoptive family has to have what they call a home study. Even Madonna and whoever else you might want to say who adopted children all had to have a home study, which is done by a licensed social worker, either through an agency or independently, who comes in and makes sure that you, number one, have the amount 
of money necessary to raise a child, Mm -hmm. that you have the proper space to bring up a child, that you have the interest and the love and the caring to bring up a child. So there's several things. They will look into your history of who you were, where you went to school, where you grew up, how you grew up. They'll talk a lot about how much, where you are now in your life, where, you know, what kind of salary do you have? What kind of future do you have? How your health is now? Making sure that you're a viable long-term availability for this child. Okay. I want to follow on that and some other points, too. We're talking with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. He's in studio, our full program, On the Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. Yep, football Sunday programs along after our 9 o'clock update on The Fan. NFL preview happens at 7.30. We're in discussion with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. He is in studio with us on our program this morning. When we talk about adoption, one of the terms that comes up, and we've talked about this before, Sam, over the years, non-traditional adoption. What exactly is that? Well, non-traditional adoption usually refers to the, um, the families themselves, uh, whether they be single, whether they be same-sex couples, whether they be uh, gay or lesbian. Um, it's really referring to a non-traditional family by meaning the fact that a traditional family is usually a husband and a wife. Non-traditional is usually the uh, different types of ways of forming a family. This does not deter you from adopting. Um, singles can adopt with the same frequency and the same availability as traditional families, um, single couples, um, same-sex couples can adopt just as much as anyone else. And when we're talking about adoption and talking about adoption from the standpoint of adoption domestically versus adoption internationally, um, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but how big a difference is there? Well, it's, it's tremendous difference these days, even more so than it was when we did. Um, the difference internationally was that if you did the paperwork, which was very involved, you had the home study, you had uh, identifying paperwork to do about the child and about the country that you adopted from, and you had specific costs and you had to travel and pick up the child and in some cases stay in country from anywhere from a week to two weeks to three weeks and then bring the child home and finalize the adoption here. There was auto, there's automatic citizenship to any child who's been adopted overseas and brought home. The difference these days is there are not as many, while there, let me rephrase this, there are thousands and thousands of children across the world that need permanent loving homes. The availability of these children has been diminished dramatically in the fact that with some of the laws and the things that have passed, it's made it unavailable to U.S. citizens to adopt from these countries because they want to make sure that they're preventing child trafficking, that children are adopted legally and ethically and morally from these countries, that these children are legally available, and there needs to be an overseeing body a central authority that makes sure, and if the U.S. is determined that this central authority is not legal and not viable, they will not allow adoptions from there. So the amount of adoptions that have come from overseas have probably dropped over the last five years 60 to 70%. Not that there's less children available, just less availability to be able to adopt. So there's much more to adopting domestically. The, the things that make domestic adoption positive is the openness the ability to select a birth family, the ability to find out as much medical information as you can, the ability to be able to go meet the birth family and know who the birth family was and where they've come from. It's an ability for you to be able to choose the family you wish to work with, and more importantly, the family gets to choose a adoptive parent family that is in the best interest of their child for the future. So domestically, whether it be independently through an attorney or through an agency, now is much more the viable way to go, but there are still many countries that are open and available. We have workshops next week about which countries are. We have the USCIS, which does the paperwork. We have the State Department coming, which talks about which countries are available. 
and we have CDC coming, which is talking about the medical information that you need to travel with and make sure that your child has the proper immunizations and you're bringing the child home and get the proper immunization. So international adoption is still very viable, but more and more families are going domestic. I didn't ask you this earlier, but it seems like a natural question. I know we've talked about this before um, when talking about the conference itself. What about this issue that some people will raise of, well, wait a minute, do I need a lawyer to do this or not? You absolutely need either a lawyer to represent you who do adoptions, not someone who does Real estate, not someone who does tax <laughs> law, not someone who is your cousin. You need to have an attorney that is viable to do adoptions. It is a very complicated situation to do an adoption for th- for anyone else outside of the realm of, of adoption attorneys. For them, they know exactly what paperwork they need. They know the limits that you have. They know how to work with the families. They know how to work with the hospitals. So you either work with your representative as an independent attorney or your representative is a agency that does domestic adoption that's licensed either in New York or New Jersey and that you're able to work through and they become your legal representative. You cannot do an independent adoption or a any type of adoption in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut or anywhere else actually without having legal representation to make sure that you're doing it in the proper way, to make sure that all of your T's are crossed and your eyes are dotted, and that everything is full and final when you complete it. What about adopting when one is, dare I say, over the age of 40 or 50? Well, I'm glad you went up a little bit. Uh, (laughs) In this day and age, um, 40 has become the median. Uh, Many families do not make decisions about the fact that they want to have a family uh, until they're almost 30 you know, before they start even looking into the process. And by the time we look at someone who's 35 is young in this process these days, 40 is not something that's inconceivable for families to adopt it. When you move up to 50, you're moving into making sure that you move quickly and rapidly. It might limit you a little bit internationally. However, if you're interested in an older child, and by older I mean five, six, seven, eight, nine, then as you move up in age, your availability becomes just equal to someone who is younger. There are many children in foster care who are over the age of five who are desperately needing permanent homes. There are many children in foster care who are 16 and 17 who would give anything to say that they have a family to be able to move on to. So age isn't really the, shall we say, blockage of adoption. What is the blockage of adoption is making sure that you, in your mind, you want to be able to be a parent. Transracial adoptions. Talk with us a little bit about those. Transracial adoptions these days is as common as walking down the street. You can see many, many families who have different ethnicities in your in their families without any problem, without knowing whether they're adopted or biologically. More and more these days, families are, are mixed. And what happens is we tell a family when they start out, to sit down and communicate with themselves about the type of child they're looking for, what they want, what type of child they're looking for ethnically, as well as age-wise, what type of child they would be willing to accept, and what type of child they really don't think would fit well into their family. This is okay to say that a child won't fit into your family, but you need to be educated about the ability to do this. You need to be educated that it's not any more difficult to do it, and having a Ethnically mixed family is so common these days, it's like walking down the street. Mm. And when we talk about this topic of adoption, we're talking with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. He is in studio with us on our program on the FAN. The 37th annual APC Adoption Conference takes place next Sunday. St. Francis College in Brooklyn runs from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You want information, go to Adoptive parents, that's all as one word, adoptive parents with an S, dot O-R-G. Uh, if people want to pre-register, they can do that? Yes, absolutely. Actually, we would prefer it as the more people we have pre-registered, the more we can plan for the people that are going to be there, print enough materials, and have the chairs and, and things set up 
available at this college. This is at St. Francis College. It's 180 Remsen Street in downtown Brooklyn, right near the courts. It does not have a campus. There is parking in the area. It's a Sunday parking. Just make sure you read the signs. Um, but it's literally a building that totally doesn't have to make you leave it, which means that there's a cafeteria or you can pre-order bag lunches so that you can go up and have in the lunch area where the exhibitors are and spend some time with them. It's a totally encompassed conference. Registering online is simple. Just go to Adoptive Parents, one word, adoptiveparents.org. Go click the button to register in advance. It gives you the availability by registering by Tuesday evening. You get a $20 discount for early registration. And by using the code word radio, you'll receive an extra $10 off the registration. And that is the best way to do it. We will accept registrations after that, but the costs do go up. The radio code will work all the way till Friday. So um, there's still many a, a good week here. Uh, do not be surprised when you walk in that there will be about 400 people there. But they're all there for the same reasons, to get the education, the information, and most importantly, the support that we provide that can give you the stance to have a permanent loving family. What advice can you give us on parenting a child with special needs? With special needs. We have many families in our organization who have special needs. It takes a special family to adopt one. You need to make sure that through your home study and through your adoption process, you're totally aware of what medical coverages you have, how it works with your insurance to picking up the children, and what is available in your neighborhood. We recently had a family who adopted a child who had a hearing problem, and they were able to adopt the child, finalize the adoption, and through the adoption process, get hearing aids and thing. And it was amazing to see the first time that he was able to hear, he was able to hear his adoptive mom's voice. And it was so exciting and so enjoyable for him to be able to do that. And it takes a special family to do it, but we have people who can educate you and help you along the way. There are many organizations that will be there uh, on Sunday to talk about what medical services are available to you so that if this is something that you feel you can do, it is welcome. These children need permanent homes, and they run the gamut from anything from asthma to a club foot to needing uh you know, cleft palate surgery, something that may not be anything more than difficult than just being able to do it, but is not always the first choice of other families. But there are many families who are willing to do it, and we welcome to give them the support they need. When we talk about this topic of adoption as well, one of the thoughts also has to do with the way in which um, adoption is viewed, handled, dealt with uh, by schools. Um, how do schools do in terms of handling adoption and even? I actually, <laughs> go ahead. I should actually ask my wife to do this as she teaches. But um, basically the case of, of in the schools is a matter of you communicating with the school. It is amazing how parents who adopt children become involved in the parent-teacher associations and the schools that are there to make sure that there is a common knowledge about adoption. You do not have to put a sign on your child saying they're adopted. You don't have to tell everybody in the world, but you do want to make them aware that you are aware of what positive adoption language is, that what they're doing is appropriate for children who have been adopted, and that they're plans for things. We remember when we had our daughter in school, they were doing a program about decorating the door of their classroom, mm -hmm. but they made the mistake of calling it adopting a door. And we went in and talked to them about how that wasn't appropriate, that a, a object like a door is not like an adoption of a child. And we made them aware and suddenly the program became decorating a door. So in this day and age, you'll be surprised how many families are in a classroom who have adopted when we talk about the topic of adoption as well, how different is adoption in New York from New Jersey? The only major difference between New York and New Jersey is that in New Jersey, you need an agency to work with you. There is a New York, you can work with either a 
attorney or an agency, your choice, and who you feel more comfortable working with. In New Jersey, the child has to be processed through an agency. You can work with an attorney independently outside of the state of New Jersey by going through several other states and finalizing in those states. But if you're adopting within New Jersey, you need to use an agency, and there are many there that are really good, uh, you know, without getting into particular names, Adoption Arc and A Loving Choice, two come to mind right away, who and uh, Home and Adoption Placement Services are three agencies, as an example, that we know that help families adopt in New Jersey. Interesting discussion that we are having. When we talk about the role of the Adoptive Parents Committee, talk with us a little bit about the idea of the support groups. Well, what is most important about our group is that we have four chapters, and each month, each chapter meets uh, in their respective areas of Long Island, New Jersey, Long Island, and New York City. Actually, New York City meets at St. Francis College, and we provide the opportunity for families who are looking to adopt to come in and meet other families who have already adopted, to walk, work together as a group, to get involved in sharing and being involved with each other. We're there for families who have already adopted and are dealing with their children and, and what issues come up and what questions come up. Each month, each chapter runs a little support group for the families who have already adopted to talk about whatever issues are coming up or questions. Uh, I mean, of course, the, the first question that always comes up you know, with a child is, you know, am I adopted, you know, and why and all these things. And it's good to be able to talk to families who have already done it and already been able to deal with the questions. So we share with each other, we work with each other to try to make sure that everybody is on the same page and going. It's an individual choice of how you adopt. It's an individual choice of the direction and the path you take. But there are many things that you can share and support your family with as well as share and support with other families. And that's what the basis of Adopt a Parents Committee is. The 37th Annual APC Adoption Conference takes place next Sunday the 19th from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., at St. Francis College in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, you want information on that or on the work of the Adoptive Parents Committee, go to Adoptive Parents, that's with an S, that's all as one word, dot O-R-G. We're talking with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. He is in studio with us on our program, and he'll be with us for our full show until 7.30 this morning. At 7.30, the NFL preview is along on the fan. Rick Wolf Sports Edge follows Dave's 8 o'clock update. And... that fabulous football Sunday program. And it is fabulous. That happens after our 9 o'clock update on the fan. Listen, I pay attention during that show. You learn some things there, too. Trust me. I'm Bob Solter. We're in a good discussion. Hopefully you're learning a few things on the topic of adoption with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. He's in studio with us on our program this morning. There's so many different things that we've talked about with this topic of adoption. And um, I'll mention again, the 37th annual APC Adoptive uh, Adoption Conference takes place next Sunday at St. Francis College in uh, downtown Brooklyn. But we've talked before about the myths associated with adoption. What's near the top of that list or at the top of the list of those myths? Well, the myth, the top myth of adoption is probably that it costs $100,000 to adopt. Um, people think that it's something where you're buying a child and you're paying money for a child or you're doing these types of things. Um, the number one myth is that it doesn't cost $100,000. It doesn't cost $75,000. It doesn't cost $50,000. Twenty-five. Yeah, twenty-five thousand might be a reasonable figure if you're doing it independently through a agency or an independent adoption, depending on what situation it is. But you can't let money be your determining factor in the process. You can always work with a birth family who has medical coverage. You can always work with a birth family that's living at home. So really, your expenses can come all the way down to like ten thousand dollars without a problem. 
Foster care adoption not only does not cost any money, you actually get subsidized for your medical and legal expenses involved in the entire process and your training, your home study is free. Everything involved in the adoption is free so that you can do an adoption with very little money and very little process going on. You do not need to have all the money in one place at one time to start. So the number one myth of adoption is probably the cost. The second myth of adoption is it takes five years to adopt. Uh, Many families adopt within one year of the time they adopt. We tell families that if they've come to the conference this year, they will probably learn and be educated enough information the next year they'll be attending for the post-adoption topics. Or if not, at least they'll be at the point where they'll know where their child's coming from. We do a candlelighting celebration every year for all of the families who've adopted over the past year. And it's amazing how many of them started the year before at the conference. Um, so it doesn't take a year. doesn't take two years. Some families, it can take up to 18 months, depending on how particular they are. But usually never more than that. If you're doing something more than that, you're on the Internet too much. And you're running around <laughs> like a chicken without a head. Um, but literally, it's a case where I think the number one myth probably over everything is that this is a black market situation that everyone's going to look down upon you, that they're going to think poorly of you because you're unable to have a biological child or that you're stealing a child from someone who couldn't afford to raise it. And those are just so badly portrayed, as I said, in some of the media and some of the things. It's totally not true. Children need permanent loving homes. Families want to be parents, bring up their children as best as they can, better than their parents did. And in this day and age, it's totally possible to be able to have more things. I mean, I I remember when I was going to school, the teachers told us we had to learn math because they asked us, well, what do you think? You're going to walk around with a calculator all day? And, you know, now we walk around with phones that are calculators. So um, certainly things have changed, but children need permanent homes, and they want to have a permanent home, and they want to be brought up and nurtured and, and brought up in a day and age where they're accepted and be able to do things. I know many adoptees that are teenagers and above have used adoption as their college essay to get them into college and help them portray where they're going. And they come out, many of them, wanting to help other children and wanting to sit down and come. And we will have some of those people there on Sunday who will talk to you about what your children can expect. So I think if you talk about the time it takes, you talk about the money that it takes, those are things the families need to know are totally wrong and portrayed wrong. And go back to what you said at the very beginning, and you've alluded to this earlier. We've talked about this in the past, but I feel this can never be stated enough. Adoption is not buying a child. It is definitely not buying a child. It is paying the legal and ethical expenses involved in doing the paperwork and involved in filing the paperwork and file. Involved in doing it. It's the medical expenses for the birth family. It's the medical expenses for the child. It is nothing more than that. The other, only other expenses you have is networking yourself out, whether it be through social media, whether it be through advertising in newspapers, or reaching out and becoming active and involved in trying to match yourself with the birth family. But there is no monies paid to the birth family. There are no expenses above and beyond living and food and things like this. You pay sometimes with a birth family, you will pay three months worth of living expenses. And that just means things that are paid through your agency or through your attorney to the places where they live and to the doctors that they visit and giving them a stipend for food and nothing more than that. You do not pay $10,000 for a child. And unfortunately on the internet, you hear about people saying things like, give us $10,000 and we'll find you a child. Those are the things that you need to run fastly away from. Mm. The idea of discussing adoption with the adopted child, how do you recommend that discussion even starts? Well, I will tell you the simplest story is that you tell your child they're adopted from the second you bring the child home. We told our daughter on the airplane. We told her when she came home. We told our other daughter exactly the same way. We tell families to tell children they're adopted. Why? One, they hear the word adoption. 
in a positive frame of mind. Two, you're not scared of telling their story. You tell their story, the truth, as much as is age appropriate for them to know and make available to them so that there's not a secrecy, so no one's talking in the back room about it, that it's upfront and present within your life of what you're doing, and you tell the child they're adopted. They're going to ask you questions when you're driving down the LIE at 60 miles an hour. They're going to ask a question from the back, or they're going to say, I want an ice cream. And you say, no, not right now. And they'll say, well, my mother would have gotten me an ice cream. And you have to be prepared to say, but I am your mother, and I am the one who's telling you that ice cream is not what we're doing right now, maybe later, and that's it. They just try to test you. So that's why a support group is good. You get used to hearing what goes on. But telling the child they're adopted from the beginning, making it a positive thing, not something that's bad or has a negative approach, and do it. One of the things that we're seeing a lot of these days, Bob, is children being bullied about the fact that they're adopted Mm -hmm. because children don't have the necessary brought up to know how to handle it and how to answer. Uh, Years ago, there was an old line, you know, well, you're adopted. Well, my mother chose me. What's your excuse? Um, (laughs) You know, we've had these kinds of discussions. We've had these types of talks with families to give children answers so they're not bullying. Bullying these days is something that's very frightful. As an adopted parent, you need to be aware of and make sure that your child is aware of it and that you're willing and open to discussing it. But literally, it's a case where being positive about adoption within your family and telling the child they're adopted and everyone knows so it's not a secret and it's not a bad thing will make it much more easier as you go along. Your proudest moment as an adoptive parent? Proudest moment as an adoptive parent. That's real. It had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... The proudest moments that we've had as an adoptive parent has probably been when my two daughters have been on adoptive parent panels as adoptees and have talked about their adoption and how it's important to their lives and where they've gone. And it made us feel very positive and very teary-eyed that we know that we brought them up the right way and that they're willing to share with others. I think it was probably one of the best days. I mean, seeing my daughter graduate from college uh, with a social worker's degree and talking about going into adoption was really exciting. Hearing my other daughter telling me, calling me up and telling me she was engaged was a great day. But those were important family days within our lives. But I think hearing my children talk about adoption in a positive way and helping other families with their adoptions has always been something that's been very strong to my wife and I. Mm-hmm. I would imagine and, you know, I would think another monumental day must have been when you brought that first adoptive child home. Well, that must have yes, been mind-blowing. It, well, I can tell you when we brought my daughter home from Honduras, uh, t- two little things. We were on an airplane coming back, and um, it landed where it wasn't supposed to land, and the Army came on the plane to take someone off who was sitting right behind us, and we were scared to death that they were coming to take our daughter away from uh. us. And they didn't. They took the person behind us, and we were, like, crying at that point. And the stewardess came over and said, well, what's the matter? He said, well, we just adopted this daughter, and they broke out champagne on the plane uh, for us, and uh, everybody celebrated with us. But I remember when we first came home with my daughter, my first daughter, we were at the airport. And in those days, 30 years ago, there was no such thing as security. So my mother-in-law was there. My friends from Adopted Parents Committee were all there. My mother-in-law took two pictures of the baby, threw the camera to my friends, took my daughter away from my wife, and we didn't see her for a half hour because the whole family had her and mm-hmm. were together with her. And when we brought our second daughter home, we brought her home into the house, and um, the house was lit up like it was the, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and it was lit up like it was the middle of the day, and the entire neighborhood was out you know, accepting our, our new addition to our family without any problem. So those two days were really important, and we will always remember them. Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee is our guest on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Who's along with the Sports Edge program? The Football Sunday program happens on the fan. You don't want to miss that. That's after our 9 o'clock update. I'm Bob Solter. NFL previews along at 7.30 this morning. We're in discussion with Sam Pitkowski from the Adoptive Parents Committee. 
He has joined us in studio for our program this morning, talking about the topic of adoption uh, during this month of November, which is National Adoption Awareness Month. The 37th annual APC Adoption Conference taking place next Sunday, November 19th. Uh, Sam, take us through exactly what takes place, where, and also let's talk a little bit about your keynote speaker again. Yes, um, the conference is next Sunday, uh, November 19th. It's at St. Francis College, which is in 180 Remsen Street, uh, downtown Brooklyn, right near the courts. There's a public train station right off the corner a borough hall there to be able to get over there. The doors open at 8 a.m. The exhibit hall with 31 exhibitors and an adoption bookstore opens at 8 a.m. So you're more than welcome to come early and collect information. At about 9 or so, we will have a opening session with April Dinwiddie from the Evan B. Donaldson Educational Information Institute, and she will talk about open adoption and the myths and uh, the availabilities and, and the things that will make families feel much more comfortable about open adoption and why it's important for adoption to have this for adoptees. Um, we will then proceed to go through five workshop hours where there will be 65 workshops available, ranging everything from making the decision to adopt, from infertility to adoption, all the way through domestic adoption with agencies, with independent attorneys, with how the process works, with open adoption, about the home study. There'll be international workshops with USCIS, the State Department, and the CDC coming and talking about it. There'll be agencies there to talk about international adoption. And there will be adult adoptees and teen adoptees talking about the issues that'll affect them. And there'll be some families there to talk about how they've searched and reunion back with their birth families. It covers all aspects of adoption. It's about education, information, and support. You can register at adoptiveparents.org. Uh, there's a click right on the front of the page as you open it up on the Internet. And click there to register. Uh, if you register early, between now and Tuesday, you'll get an additional $20 off. And if you use the radio code RADIO, you'll get an additional $10 off the early registration. Um, you can register all next week. And you can come in the morning and register that morning as long as we have room, which we should. Um, there will be many people there to provide the education, the information, and the support. You can also click on the uh, button that will give you the list of the workshops in advance so that you can help plan out your day. We will have people there from 8 o'clock in the morning to help you make the decisions about which workshops are available. We are there to provide legal and ethical information and education, and most importantly, support to help children find permanent loving homes and families find permanent loving families. Interesting uh, comment actually came in through uh, Facebook uh, from um, Jerry. It says he has worked for 40 years in a nonprofit and organization, uh, and he was touched uh, listening to the show this morning. Uh, when I asked the question about adopting children with special needs. Interesting that you responded on that, uh, Sam. said, speaking uh, for myself, those families that do are angels sent from heaven. They definitely are. It takes a special family to be able to t assume the medical and supportive needs that a special needs child needs, depending on the, the availability and what's there. It takes one family to make a difference in a child's life. And without that adoptive family, we don't know where that child will be or what will happen. And we look for them. We request them. We go for foster families and special needs families as much as we can as a priority to finding one. Because when you find one family, we will hold their hands, support them, call them, talk to them as much as we can to make sure that that is a permanent adoption and that that child will have a chance for a good life. And, Jerry, thank you for uh, commenting on uh, Facebook. We're going to be doing more with Facebook and social media in this program in the very near future. We're in discussion with Sam Pitkowski. He's talking with us as a representative of the Adoptive Parents Committee. As you've been hearing, 37th Annual APC Adoption Conference taking place next Sunday, St. Francis College in downtown Brooklyn. Adoptive Parents, that's with an S dot O-R-G, the uh, website where you can get information. Very quickly, we had less than a minute here left. It's interesting, too, that you mentioned about the adult adoptees because they have a 
unique perspective to bring to the table, too. Well, they, they have a very unique because they're able to look back mm-hmm. and, and understand what they're going through and what they've gone through. And what's really important to them is open records and getting involved and being able to find their adoption records, which from when they were children was sealed. And now they have to go through a lot of process to get them open. And we're very much in support of adoptees being able to get access their records and very much in support of them being able to do this. And for adult adoptees to talk about how they've searched and gone back to find their biological families and find out the reasons when there was not an open adoption is very open-minded and intriguing for many of the adoptees and the families to learn. Sam, as always, wonderful discussion. Thank you very much. Certainly our best with the conference next week, too. Thank you very much, Bob. And we do appreciate the support coming down here every morning and uh, being a little cold, but having a great morning. (laughs) Well, it is a kind of a chilly start to the day if you haven't been outside yet. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.